0: good morning how are you are you there i'm here can you hear me are you queer as ever hello 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 and welcome to the queer core podcast my name is august bernadiku and i'm a 26 year old gay historian the QueerCore podcast is a celebration of the interviews I've conducted over the past 13 years, featuring both archival and new recordings. This podcast is an opportunity for LGBTQ activists to tell their stories in their own words. It's summer in New York and I'm boiling in my fifth floor walk up studio. You can't have the air conditioner on when you record a podcast. First off, I want to thank everyone who's listened so far. If you haven't already. Please follow us on Instagram at QueerCorePod, and if you like this, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your pastor, and at the very least, tell the world. We need some love up here on the fifth floor. This episode is a big one. It features Don Kilhefner, the most dangerous gay activist alive in America. For over 50 years, he has fought to secure civil rights for LGBTQ people. Without a doubt, the fruits of his work have changed the world. Dr. Don was an early member of the pioneering gay activist group the Gay Liberation Front. And through their spirit, he co-founded the Los Angeles LGBT Center, which has since become the model of all LGBTQ centers around the world, with a $172 million yearly budget and nearly 800 employees.
1: A certain fatherly pride about that maybe now grandfatherly pride about that
0: the second chapter of his life has been dedicated to the exploration of queer consciousness in 1978 he co-founded the radical fairies a counterculture movement of queer art and spirituality that endures today all over the world
1: a gathering of gay men to begin revisioning of what it means to be gay
0: at 82 years old Dr. Don is a practicing therapist and continues to see patients on a sliding scale. He has never been interested in rewards and praise. His entire life has been one of service.
1: You know, there's something in me that um, is forward moving.
0: Before we go any further, I'd like to take a moment to thank our partner, Five Burrows Brewing Company. As you know by now, I love Five Burrows beer especially when I have the first sip of their City Light Lager. It's made with saws hops, premium German malts, and my favorite, New York City water. So help yourself on a hot summer day and go to at 5 Brewing on Instagram. Now grab your picket sign and let's go march with Dr. Don Kilhefner. On January 13th, 2019, I called Dr. Don and asked to interview him in order for him to agree to an interview with me. We had to have an introductory call, which quickly turned into a friendly interrogation in the course of our short relationship, Dr. Don has changed my life and the way I see myself in the world. We recently held an intergenerational dialogue during the models of pride conference in Los Angeles it emphasized the importance for LGBTQ youth to keep a connection with their elders. Since then, we've been feverishly collaborating on his biography. What's our book gonna be called? What's our
1: Warriors? Revolution, Community, Identity in Los Angeles, 1969 to 1985.
0: Great, I gotta give us a plug in there, right?
1: Yeah, I, I hope so.
0: Dr. Don was born in Amish, Pennsylvania, where his life should have been the same as his parents in most of his impoverished town.
1: You say you have no love to spare, I tell you love is like the air.
0: When he was in high school, he met a young man who would forever stay in his mind, someone who I have countless hours of interviews on. His name is Glenn. And in their high school yearbook, the captions for their photo said, Donnie is inseparable from Glenn and vice versa. Though they were never physically intimate, Dr. Don knew his feelings for Glenn were more complicated than a friendship. Glenn was his first love.
1: Glenn and I uh, didn't see each other after high school. Uh, Primarily because of these parents, they they did not want him uh, talking to me or seeing me. But, you know, um, for 65 years, I've carried him in my heart. It was hardly a day goes by that I don't think of him. And when he died recently, uh, there was a hole in my heart that I don't think uh, will ever be filled.
0: Never thinking that going to college was an option, one day, Dr. Don saw his young love in the hallway and asked him where he was going. Glenn grabbed Dr. Don and they walked into a classroom, which was for students who wanted to learn more about going to college. A quest for higher knowledge began pushing Dr. Don.
1: To say your joy has just begun, are sweet the taste of.
0: After getting his undergraduate degree, Dr. Don felt a pull to do something meaningful and to make a difference. In 1962, he was in the first Peace Corps group to go to Ethiopia. He immediately fell in love with the people and the culture of Africa. And his eyes began to see a world far removed from his rural American upbringings. Those
1: three years... Uh, were important to me because I never wanted to go to Europe for a week. <laughs> you know, five five countries in a week or something, I wanted to experience how people live uh, in the world, uh, in a much larger world than I had a world view of at that time. I'd never been out of the United States. I began to understand uh, looking at the world through the eyes of a black person. And I was taught well by them in terms of seeing things differently. And uh, it was an education in a a political, historical, sociological education. The experience that I needed and wanted, um, I got.
0: Returning from his time in the Peace Corps, Dr. Don's desire to learn more about African culture propelled him to enroll in Howard University, a historically black college where he received his master's degree in African Studies. For Dr. Don to create and advance civil rights, he needed to be able to see past himself. Howard was a
1: very open and um, intellectually, for me, stimulating. Environment for learning. I only experienced um, people appreciating uh, the fact that I was taking interest in black culture. You know that was unusual at the time. Very few universities, other than historically black universities, was any kind of black history going on, study of black African history. That simply didn't exist in the
0: 60s. In 1969, the course of Dr. Don's life as well as the lives of many LGBTQ people across the world changed forever. Late one night on June 28, 1969, the New York City police raided the Stonewall Inn, a gay club located in Greenwich Village. The raid sparked a brawl leading to six days of protests and clashes with law enforcement outside of the bar. The Gay Liberation Front was founded immediately after the Stonewall riots in New York and became one of the most influential gay activist groups in the history of LGBTQ rights, primarily composed of gay men and women the New York City group was a jumping board, and soon there were gay liberation fronts popping up in cities all across the world. After lifetimes of hiding, LGBTQ people everywhere were finding the courage to come out of the closets and fight their oppressors.
1: in the LA Times and New York Times. For the first time, uh, I began to see, oh my god, there is a consciousness that I must must develop about myself as a gay man, being oppressed. It was like a wake-up call. In
0: 1969, Dr. Don joined the Los Angeles Gay Liberation Front. His impact was immediate and he pushed their stance into a brasher, more radical approach. With guerrilla theater and ready-made picket signs, the L.A. Gay Liberation Front fought in the front lines and often in the streets.
1: We would be in your face. We didn't care whether we were invited or not. We didn't care whether we get arrested or not. We were going to fight back against heterosexual supremacy wherever we found it.
0: Pre-stonewall gay organizations and activist groups we focused on gaining acceptance from the heterosexual community by means of assimilation. Dr. Don calls this becoming your oppressor. For Dr. Don, true gay liberation wasn't about being accepted. It was about breaking free, loudly, fiercely, and unapologetically. I mentioned somebody
1: by the name of Frantz Fanon. He was a black psychiatrist from Martinique and worked as a psychiatrist in Algeria during the time that the Algerians were rebelling against French control. Through his work there, he put the idea of ontology resistance that an oppressed people will try to imitate the culture of their oppressors well i took those theories and i put them within the context of what happened to gay people it wasn't that we were a country that got colonized our minds got colonized by hetero supremacy we began to believe and internalize what they said about us that we were freaks that we were inferior that we were sick we were sinful and in the process we began to idolize hetero colonization of our minds, what we, the self-loathing that we've internalized, the self-hatred we've internalized, uh, and how we thought about ourselves.
0: These days, gay pride is a multi-million dollar industry around the world. Many festivals, day-long parties, and they all are packaged by corporate sponsors who are eager to show off their rainbow logos. Sure, it's a testament to how far we've come, but it's also a far cry from the first pride marches, which weren't parties, rather, they were protests. Back when there was no money to be made off of LGBTQ civil rights, protesters had to be creative. Take, for example, the first Los Angeles Pride March on June 28, 1970. Obtaining a permit for a bunch of queers to march down Hollywood Boulevard wasn't exactly easy.
1: Ed Davis, who was chief of police, denied our permit to march on Hollywood Boulevard. He said it would be like allowing a group of—you know, it's not like Donald Trump—allowing a group of thieves and uh, perverts to march down uh, Hollywood Boulevard, and he denied the permit. We went to the ACLU. They took the case, took it to court, and the Friday before uh, the Sunday that it was supposed to happen. Uh, A judge said there is no reason to
0: deny us the permit and the police department had to issue it. With their new victory over the police, the Gay Liberation Front and other organizations like the Metropolitan Community Church took the permit and ran with it, putting on quite a show for thousands of unwitting spectators.
1: I think that it's uh, sort of enjoyable to watch, but I'm glad they don't do it too often. Five or six members of Gay Liberation Front dressed as fairies. And the cop had a baton and was chasing them, saying, I'm going to get you fairies. I'm going to lock you all up. You fairies are a distraction. So there was Guerrilla Theater. And then another contingent of Gay Liberation Front made a huge paper mache uh, gasoline jar. Uh, painted just like a Vaseline jar. At that time, Vaseline was the major lubricant used by both heterosexuals and gay people, and it outraged people that we had that <laughs> that we had that uh, Vaseline jar. I don't know, but <laughs> I don't go for it at all. I think it's sick thing. <laughs> well, I think uh, it's their thing. That's what they want to do. And then um, lots of people joined in. Uh, who had read the article in the LA Times and just came and joined
0: in. I think that uh, a lot of people are going to realize that there's more than,
1: uh, than there actually is. They didn't realize, I don't think there's that this many of them. They know we're here. It's the police mostly that don't like it to come out in public.
0: A completely volunteer organization from the beginning, the LA Gay Liberation Front did whatever they could do to raise the funds they needed for their cause. They held same-sex dance parties called the Gay Funky Dance. It had a thrift store in the Silver Lake neighborhood called the Gay Whale Funky Thrift Shop. Dr. Don remembers an early day when he realized just how dangerous their work had become.
1: One Monday, Ralph didn't show up at the there was no way we could get a hold of them at the funky shop. There was a telephone there. we called, call and call and call, and we couldn't get a hold of them. And so late on that Monday, Morris and I went over together, went over to the gay old funky shop. No, never. And you know, this is a gay murder.
0: Homosexuality was considered psychopathological until 1973, a mental illness to be treated and cured. Fighting this classification was a core action of many groups during the first wave of gay liberation. How could the world accept us if who we were was reduced to a mental disorder? One of the Los Angeles Gay Liberation Front's most famous action was called the Biltmore Rebellion, In 1970, when the American Psychiatric Association held a conference at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, the Gay Liberation Front discovered that one of the speakers would be giving a presentation advocating electroshock therapy to cure homosexuality. It was a perfect opportunity for a protest.
1: There were about uh, maybe 30, 35 of us. We, We go there and we sit in the audience. And when Dr. Feldman, which, which was his name, when he get up to start his presentation, I walked up to the microphone and took the microphone from him. We're going to be talking about what you as psychologists are going
0: to do to clear up your own mind. This is what we're going to be doing, baby.
1: This is what we're going to be doing, baby. If you didn't it. maybe, I don't know, 150 people into about maybe 10 groups with two gay liberation, three gay liberation people in each group. And we had them to debate, discuss with us the ethics and morality of what they were doing. First of all, creating a, a category of sick people, psychopathology, which wasn't true. It was manufactured that were not sick. And that they are trying treatment which are barbaric, uh, trying to create some, uh, trying to heal something that is not a uh, uh, a problem. Now, unknown to us at the time, across the street in Pershing Square, the Los Angeles Police Department's SWAT team had formed, and they were ready to interrupt uh, a gang and arrest us and the chair of the psychology department said to the police no 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 no. everything is going to be okay just go away don't interfere don't interfere we don't want you to interfere and thank goodness they didn't interfere or we would have been all arrested
0: similar events took place in 1971 and in 1972 in washington dc however The Los Angeles Gay Liberation Front Rebellion was the first. As the group's presence grew, they realized that they also needed to nurture the community that they helped build. Within months, the Gay Liberation Front had implemented the first 24-hour hotline to help LGBTQ people. The hotline was manned by many, but Dr. Don, who had been sleeping in his car at the time, offered to work the night shift if he could sleep on the couch at their office. His future as a therapist was rooted in these late nights when he listened to the pained voices of LGBTQ people from all across the country.
1: Beginning about, oh, sometime about midnight, Telephone calls would start coming in. You know, I was, what, 28 at the time? 29. um, Who uh, knew a lot about history, but knew nothing about human service. You know, I just listened, talked to them, tried to be as compassionate as I could be. Um, Even then, I didn't know it at the time, but even then there was a, a helper inside of me. And so throughout 1970, a year, I took these 24-hour phone calls, and by about March, I realized that um, this can't go on because what I was hearing was that gay people were having problems basically caused by their oppression. And so about March of 1970, April of 1970, I called a meeting at the Liberation Front called the Gay Survival Committee. Just think of those words, Gay Survival Committee. what we were dealing with in 1970. Uh, it wasn't, uh, let's have a parade, it was basic, fundamental survival. Uh, and some didn't, many didn't survive.
0: I wonder if LGBTQ people can realize how lonely and lost gay life was for so many people as recently as 50 years ago. This was pre-Google, pre-Ellen, pre-Queer Eye. Many people felt like they were doomed to a life of self-hatred, loneliness, and persecution. Seeing the dire need for support in their newly formed community, in 1971, Dr. Don and fellow activist Morris Kite founded the Gay Community Services Center.
1: Something happened to people when they came to a center, which in the front of it had a sign hanging, Gay Community Services, a big sign, and could walk into a space that there were all gay and lesbian trans people. And uh, we were acting normally, and we were asking them, what do you need? There was something healing in being able to do that, rather than uh, call the police, or um, call the Reverend, or uh, call a shrink. Uh, It was like, how can we help you?
0: The early days weren't easy. In fact, they were scary.
1: you live in because I can see it from and then he gave the name on the street and I thought holy shit this guy has specific information. I lived in fear for about a month and then as happens with fear many times it, it can't maintain itself forever.
0: The Gay Community Services Center has since become the Los Angeles LGBT Center, the largest and most influential organization of its kind in America. It's a beacon of hope for LGBTQ people of all stripes, providing essential services such as free STD testing, housing for homeless LGBTQ youth, and numerous other invaluable programs that continue to enrich the community. It's come a long way from its roots in a creaky old Victorian house on Wilshire Boulevard.
1: I can remember the day, the day before our clinic got licensed. Mars Kite and I were in the clinic. We were trying to transform our closet into a laboratory, and we were able to do it within 48 hours and have it passed by the Los Angeles County Health Department.
0: Now, more than ever, vested interests are erasing the history of the radical activists who dedicated their lives to fight for what's right. Dr. Don has seen his legacy minimized and partly erased in his lifetime. The list of examples is long, but perhaps the clearest and most recent example of this involves the LGBT Center. Its current administration refuses to acknowledge Dr. Don as a co-founder. Instead, they reduce his legacy and contribution by bestowing him the title founding executive director. In the hype of the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, the LA LGBT Center decided to also celebrate its 50th anniversary. The only issue with that is that it was not the center's 50th anniversary. The Gay Community Service Center was founded in 1971. In fact, other anniversaries were celebrated based on the 1971 founding date, too. Dr. Don gave me copies of his invitation to the center's star-studded 50th anniversary celebration and his further correspondence with Lori Jean, the center's current CEO unaware of the 50th anniversary extravaganza Dr. Dawn was only invited a month before the event and Lori Jean had no room at her table for the founding executive director so How does it make you feel and then you know what does it do to our history if people's you know legacies could be minimized in their lifetime
1: I want it. how does it make me feel uh, both sad and Um, a little angry, because not just Morris and I, but hundreds of people worked to make that center happen. Um, Hundreds and hundreds, developing into the largest center of its kind in the world. And she just dismisses our involvement as nothing. Secondly, the fact that it grew out of the Gay Liberation Front, Gay Survival Committee, she refuses to look at it. I was there. It was largely my vision for the community center. I, I was there, and to have her uh, try to rewrite that history and pretend like it didn't happen, it not only is, is um, it's not the way you treat your ancestors, not the way you treat your elders.
0: Dr. Don did attend the 50th anniversary and was seated in the far back near the kitchen. When I spoke to Dr. Don the day after the celebration, he told me about the hugs and love he received from the attendees. Hearing the stories helped my heart. A legacy like Dr. Don's won't be easily erased or revised. After years at the center, Dr. Don felt the call to do something else. The center had brought valuable survival tools to LGBTQ people in Los Angeles, and in its model all across the world. The center saved lives. But with that, Dr. Don couldn't help but wonder about the spirit of gay men. Gay men were becoming liberated, but also lost in the brave new world of sexual freedom. Dr. Don wanted to provide another kind of service. He wanted to help gay men discover and explore their true place in humanity. In 1978, Dr. Don and his friend, the notorious activist Harry Hay, founded the Radical Fairies.
1: When I I got the leaflet back from the printer for the first time, and I put the two-sided leaflet on the center's main bulletin board, and about, oh, maybe... Uh, Ten minutes later, the janitor at the center came bursting into my office, screaming at me, saying, all my life, I've been fighting against that word fairy, and here you are using that word fairy, when it's such a terrible word for gay people. Uh, Don't you have any political consciousness? And at, at that moment, I knew, oh, God, this is working that people would begin to look at that word fairy. What does it mean? And how do we take these words that are used against us, like faggot and queer and fairy and fruit and you name them, a cocksucker, uh, which I always like, Uh, and how do we instill them with positive meaning, turn the meaning around, the supremacist meaning turning it around and beginning to embrace those words.
0: On Labor Day in 1979, over 200 men congregated in the Arizona desert outside of Tucson for the first radical fairy gathering it was the first gathering of its kind where gay men could congregate outside the typical bar or urban setting and connect on a deeper level with nature and each other.
1: We didn't want people to become like the spectators at this. We wanted to be an exploration where we get together and we talk to each other. That people bring their gifts with them and they share those gifts. With the other gay men there, there's a a group called Louisiana Sissies, and one of Louisiana Sissies was doing a workshop on crochet, lace making. Somebody else might be doing a workshop on gemstones. Somebody else on uh, auto felatio. Somebody else uh, was doing a workshop by the pool on another night.
0: As much as their brothers and sisters of other orientations bring something unique to humanity. From a biological standpoint, they cannot reproduce. So what's their purpose? Why do homosexuals and even homosexual animals continue to exist? It was Dr. Dawn's intent with the radical fairies to explore this and thus to help gay men find their place in the world and define themselves as something more than just a sex
1: act. What we talked about was a gathering of gay men to begin revisioning uh, gay liberation and begin uh, revisioning uh, what it means to be gay. Why are we here? Why in the fuck are there gay people? In terms of evol- evolutionary biology and social why do we keep reappearing? While our oppressors go down the drain type of history, why do we keep reappearing? Uh, Gay people wouldn't be there for thousands of years unless we're contributing to the evolution of our species. So the question for us is, what are we doing? Not, how do we call heterosexuals?
0: Dr. Don's lifelong fascination with the spiritual dimension of gayness continues to this day in his work as a therapist. Where many elders retire in their later years, Dr. Don remains engaged, active, and present, seeing clients of all races, ages, and sexual orientations. He listens to their struggles and guides them, much like he did half a century ago during the night shift in the Gay Liberation Front's tiny
1: office. West Africans say, if elders are lost, adults will be lost. If adults are lost, youth will be lost. It puts the emphasis on the importance of elders in providing a certain kind of stability. What we need is uh, a community that honors ancestors, that requires elders, that depends on adults, and invites youth into the
0: community. At his home in West Hollywood, Dr. Don's legacy surrounds him. From the African art, which guided him off of a more traditional path early on, to the very first Radical Fairy Gathering poster, you see a man whose life has taken many turns, who's accomplished much, yet is always curious what the next thing to
1: lean into is. You know, there's something in me that forward-moving, there is an energy in me that's just my nature, that I tend to see the possibilities in things, and um, I don't get down for long. My therapist once said to me, you know, Don, you're the kind of person that has to have a vision to be healthy you're a vision carrier and when he said that I you know I pooh pooed it but the more I thought about that over the years I think there's some truth to it that there's I see possibilities in things and those possibilities keep my energy moving forward.
0: This is August from the queer core podcast. I want to thank all of you and our partner five Burroughs Brewing Company for helping bring this project to life. Our next episode will feature Jewel Thais Williams, owner of the first gay black discotheque in America. The queer core podcast is produced by Chris Coates and myself and is edited by Chris Coates, our theme song is Silicon Valley by Silke Berlin and the Addictions. The song Simplicity and Taste of One are by the Ace of Cups and written by Denise Kaufman. The song Stones is also by the Ace of Cups and written by Mary Gannon Alfeeler. The archival audio of the Biltmore Rebellion and the first Los Angeles Pride March are from the documentary Some of Your Best Friends, directed by Ken Robinson. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Please share and tag us with the hashtag QueerCorePodcast. Until next time, peace out.